You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. <laughs> Mickey, the visual gags are not getting better. Um, although I got to say, that has a certain charm. Have you grown a gray beard, uh, Mickey, and mustache? I'm, I'm just, I'm just old and tired, Bob. I was reading this comment from one of our readers, Uh-oh. Our, one of our subscribers, <laughs> Michael Drew. Subscribers? Wait, this is a parent room patron. Uh, correct, but it's a, you know, it's a, it, it was just on my Twitter feed. Oh, he's, he's, he. I assume he watches the regular one too, and he said. Do you guys think you're up to this anymore? I'd be interested in your self-evaluation after you listen to the last pad room. Bob in particular just sounds so overwhelmed by weariness and the prospect of fielding each topic as it comes up. And I'm a subscriber. So I, so I, I just, should be wearing the beard, not you. I, I'm I'm the one being accused well, of both of us. And I, you know, I think I think we should just go with it. You know, that's our brand. We're the weary boomers. I agree. Plus, that's a good look. I wish the the, the uh, many people listening on uh, podcast could see that. You must have paid a fortune for that thing. It's so it's so lifelike. It was six ninety nine on Amazon, and it came ten minutes before I was ready to sit down. So I had to. Thank you, Jeff. Delayed. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. By um, the way, but, you, you hear? Well, go ahead. No, go ahead. Do you hear go about ahead. his misfortune? Jeff I'm Bezos? Too sorry to respond now. What? Go ahead. Do you hear about Jeff Bezos' misfortune? No. Is he not going to space? He is, but... Okay, so he comes out and he says, I'm going, I think it's like July 20th or something. Yeah. And so I'll, you know, I'm... And the headline is, you know, guy who runs company, you know, goes up in space, blah, blah, blah. Well, Richard Branson, not to be outdone, scheduled, announced then that he would be going up uh, actually two days from now on Sunday. And so he's going to beat Jeff Bezos to it. Well, and he uh, hopes. that's got to hurt. He hopes. I think Jeff Bezos can probably weather the blow since his empire is growing and plus, Branson is expanding. Plus, his is a real I mean, rocket. Branson that's, is cratering. What? His is a real rocket. That's the full astronaut experience. What's with Branson, you got you got to go up with a plane that's being you know held up oh, by a yeah. plane, and then you know it's that's, that's fake. None of them are going into orbit, right? No. I mean, but still, there's somebody paying $28 million to be with Jeff Bezos and his brother. I mean, I hope it goes well for, uh, for the, for the, you this, know. My, the my beard Bezos is falling family. off, so I'm going to take it off. You know, I think it would be easier to understand you possibly if you didn't yeah. have that on. No, I have hairs in my mouth. Um, the, uh, so people are spending $28 million for a few moments of precious weightlessness with Jeff Bezos and his brother and an 82 year old woman who was an astronaut during the Mercury era back when female astronauts didn't get to actually go into space. And so Justice never is, been in space? No, this is her first her first time. And and so that's a great story. I gotta say, in narrative terms, Bezos is just killing Branson. Branson's got him and these three people we've never heard of who who are, you know And you think and, and Bezos is not this woman isn't paying her own way. She was selected by Amazon PR because she was a good story. I right? think it would it would really damage some of the PR benefit if Amazon demanded that she even even subscribe to Prime or in order to go. Anything at all would be like a bad idea. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a freebie. Yeah. 
They should advertise the space fight on Prime. That would be a good coup. Uh, uh, but anyway, what, but Bob, what does J.D. Vance think of all this? I was going to bring up J.D. Vance, your man, J.D. Vance. He's, he's, had a, he's had a rough week. He hasn't. J.D. Vance is, is the new Trump. Every story about anything political has to be have a J.D. Vance angle. Uh, you know, so I think I, Greg Sargent has written three of the last five post columns about J.D. Vance. I mean, he's okay, really, but you know, also, Morning, Joe's, Morning Joe's run two shows in a row about J.D. Vance. Everybody's talking about J.D. Vance. This is J. the J. Trump, Vance, the Trump Vance, formula. Get, get them to hate you loud and strong and you win. Um, I will say, well, though, among what's he, done, what's he done so terrible? Oh, I'll list a few things. But first, I want to say uh, that among his detractors is is Matt Lewis of the highly regarded DMZ podcast. And, you know, Matt has serious hillbilly credentials himself. This is not like me criticizing J.E. Vance. Matt grew up in West Virginia, working class family. Father was a prison guard, went to college in West Virginia. He knows a thing or two. I think he lives in West Virginia. I believe yeah, he he's may. a big, no. he's a yeah. big immigration softy. He's he's for amnesty. Uh, that's that's the secret motivating force. Is that uh, Vance is tough on immigration, so all the people who are anti-immigration are saying, "Oh, he's a hypocrite because he changed his mind about Trump." Well, but the real motivating force is uh, they want amnesty. Certainly, certainly is the case with Mona Charon. Said uh, uh, Vance, he 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 posts alarmist tweets about immigration. Imagine that. Can't have that. And uh, and, you know, Tim ODC, who I don't follow, I said, no, uh, uh, we got in a Twitter argument and I said, I think Mona just disagrees with him on policy. And he said, you're right. I, I'm with Mona. But the, the point is, it's a policy disagreement. Yeah, but she's well, people like her are pointing to things that I personally find disturbing. I mean, I guess my position is I, I wouldn't, con- I wouldn't consider it. I wouldn't consider it catastrophic to have. A Trumpist president in the sense of following the, the kind of core policies of Trumpism. I mean, you know, uh, more restrictionist immigration policy, tighter, uh, enforcement at the border. I mean, as long as they don't follow Trump's policy of making everyone already here, uh, live in fear. Um, I mean, that for a few years wouldn't be fatal. Uh, more protectionist, uh, tr- trade policy wouldn't be fatal, but, uh, you know, I would want that person to not have Trump's most disturbing characteristics, or at least not, and not pretend to have them, whether he has them or not. Well, and he doesn't have them, so what's the problem? Well, I mean, he's signing on. I notice you've you've already promoted him to president, which is fine, because that's what this is all about. It's not about him being senator. It's about if he's senator, then he's immediately a presidential contender. Yeah, well, that's why you're interested with him. You're not, you don't live in Ohio. Um, But, uh, so, first of all, you know, he's – let me read you from an, an NBC uh, News interview. This is a paraphrasal. But he avoided a direct answer when asked if he believes Biden's win was genuine. Okay, so he apparently won't acknowledge that Biden is the legitimately elected president. That's kind of alarming. Okay, he let me continue. Saying only that he thinks there were voting irregularities and media censorship by big tech that raised questions about the election fairness. Uh, and here's the quote. I do think there were really serious problems, Vance said. I think there's a little bit of weird double standard, blah, 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 where for the past couple of presidential elections, uh, the Republicans won. There have been Democratic criticisms. So he, he just won't say, yeah, we have to accept Biden as legitimately. That's, that's, that, there's sort of two... 
sort of mealy mouth middle of the road responses to that. He has the same one as DeSantis, which is to say there was a lot of unfairness and there was a lot of unfairness. Why was the Hunter Biden laptop story brutally suppressed? It, like like a story has never been before. It's unbelievable. Uh, so that alone is enough to say the election was unfair. Remember, it's as if George Bush's DWI Mickey, had me, been suppressed before the 2000 election. Let me ask you a question. Okay? It, has the, it has the potential to move a couple of crucial percent. Is Joe? Let me ask you a question. Is is Joe Biden the legitimately elected president of the United States, in yes. your opinion? He is? Yes, yes. What do you think it means that J.D. Vance won't say that? I think it means that he's trying not to say that, and uh, he's and, trying. And to, you don't think it's alarming? As reasonable as possible. Kevin McCarthy doesn't really say it either. I don't think. I think Kevin McCarthy says, uh, you know, well, we counted the votes, and all the Trump made all his objections, and Biden is the president. Okay. Uh, so wait, you, wait. You think listing so Republicans who are refusing to to uh, acknowledge Biden's legitimacy is going to convince me that that's okay? The Republican Party is a, is a total disaster of dishonesty. And, well, and, and, and cowardice. I mean, we knew that. What I'm saying is the only kind of Trumpist president I wouldn't get really creeped out about is one who wasn't a dishonest coward, which J.D. Vance no, clearly is. Nothing he said. He didn't say Trump Biden was illegitimate. He just didn't say he was legitimate. No, nothing he said in that. How state, do you think that reads? How do you think that said, reads to his audience? I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure it reads to some people like they should storm the Capitol, but they're not many of those people. It isn't it, just it reads, that, Mickey. It, he, he is the same, the same thing as DeSantis says, which is, which is, you know, that there was unfairness and, 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 and he's, you know, there, there was a, a very long Twitter, Twitter thread this morning addressing this issue and saying, look, here's what people are upset about. They saw with the Russia, Russia, Russia thing that there was a, it was basically get Trump at any cost among the, the national security bureaucracy and they promoted all sorts of lies and, According to this guy, things they knew they were lies. And and these people knew the election was stacked against Trump. And that's what it means. It's unfair. And they're they're pissed off and they're pissed off. The same I'm way just Stacey saying Abrams, the same way Stacey Abrams was pissed off when she wouldn't say that Kemp was a legitimate governor of Georgia. So, uh, it, it, yes, I'd rather he didn't say she that. Didn't, it's she, not I mean, a deal breaker. If, it's not a for, deal breaker. First of all, if you look at what she said closely, she didn't quite, I don't think, say that. The, um, I think she did. But uh, I'm just saying, you know, anyone who will not. He still hasn't conceded, I don't think. Anyone who will not acknowledge uh, that, the uh, you know, the legitimacy, the fundamental legitimacy of uh, the process, unless it is plainly uh, illegitimate, um, you know. And he says, he, he says, quote, I think Josh Hawley did the right thing. Do you think Josh Hawley did the right thing in not certifying the election? Uh Certainly not what I would say. And no, I don't think he did the right thing. But I think uh, uh, okay. I, th- I think, look, I'm not going to agree with J.D. Vance on everything. The question is, is this a deal breaker? If, if OK, let me give you something else and convinces you by his utterly reasonable behavior that he is not Donald Trump. I think he has a chance to win over people like you. Even OK, you, but there's there's a difference between us. This stuff just doesn't bother you as much as it bothers me. I remember Correct. right after the election when Trump was saying, I don't accept the election results. And I'm like, Mickey, this is alarming. You say, ah, it's nothing. It'll blow over. I mean, you, you kept that up for a long time. And you just don't, you just don't, I, I, I still think you don't understand the extent to which the rule of law depends on norms. It depends on president, everyone, like 
serious politicians agreeing, you, you know, you kind of got to say, okay, the guy in the White House is legit. You got to be able to say that. J.D. Vance can't bring himself to say that. No, you got to be able to. That is a danger you know, you to, to the republic. You have to recognize him be, as president in fact. If he gives an order, you have to say that's an order. Why does he have to? Why, look, the, the people thought that's it was That's what Hitler. legitimacy means. People thought, people thought Trump was Hitler. So they, if, if you thought he was Hitler, you, you might do anything to defeat him. And people who were, were for, voted for Trump are rightly suspicious, okay? And the whole media was stacked against him, just the media being stacked against him could make you think it was unfair. I agree that the Hawley thing goes further because that is challenging the actual vote counting mechanism and all of Vance's other statements actually skirted around that. They, he didn't challenge the vote counting mechanisms and that's vastly more troubling. I agree. No, but the, the word Hawley, legitimacy is just a, an absolutely a key word. It's an absolutely key word. That's what keeps the system alive. Legitimate? Yes. You don't utter the word legitimate. It's mandatory speech. Well, if you somebody asks you. Or our, or our democracy dies. That's insane. Well, what, what's essential is that a president be considered legitimate. And that's why if somebody asks this guy who wants to be president, is the current president legitimate? And he won't sign on to that. Uh, he's just, that, he's just a coward. He, he, he Hays, has no you integrity. Think the, you think in the Hayes Tilden, uh, election that all of the losers, uh, Loser supporters said that the winner was legitimate. No, it was a huge controversy that lasted for years and no, years. No, I'm right. And, uh, did, and all, did all Gore's people say that Bush was legitimate? I don't think so. Did all Hillary's people say that well, Trump Gore, was Gore, I don't think so. Gore, did, Gore himself did say that. And my only point is, look, obviously there have been people in American political history who didn't who didn't do this. I'm just saying I would never vote for them for president. Okay. You would. Well, look, I wouldn't. There. Let me give yes, you some. I, I, he's not being as as courageous as he could be. On the other hand, if he was as courageous as he could be, he would be a deadweight loser in the Republican right, primary. But at some he's, point, he you is, just he is, some... he's saying he's going as far as he can in the reasonable direction. He's saying Trump appreciates people who stand up to him, so that cuts him, gives himself some room to disagree with Trump. Uh, uh, he's, he's right. I would prefer it if he adopted the Kevin McCarthy tactic, which is to say, look, we counted the votes, we held the challenges, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Biden was the winner, uh, end of story. Uh, but, uh, I, I think probably the Republican electorate somehow doesn't buy that for the reasons, for the reasons that, uh, this Twitter thread goes into it, which is you just think the whole process was stacked against it. Right. But at some point, you just got to, I, I mean, if you have integrity, at some point, you just have to decide to either opt out of the system or start another party or do something. I mean, that's at, my at view. Some, at, at some point, you have to show some integrity. Question I is, how, how as, object- a guy got, as a guy who got 5% in a, in a primary because uh, he did absolutely nothing the politics required. I'm sympathetic to Vance, and I don't think this is the point at which he has to demonstrate. I, I think you. I think negative. you may be rounding upward to the nearest five percent, but I digress. Here, oh, here no. is how. Here Bob, is how Bob, you, you got. Yeah. Every every loser of every election knows exactly what they got. What the was your exact number? The winners don't have to remember. What was your exact number? Remember. It was what was it? Point one percent, I think. One more thing. I just in terms of how abject. J.D. Vance is. This is a tweet that was quoted in the Bulwark piece, which I think was by Mona Sharon. Is that where she wrote her thing? 
Uh, a tweet from yeah. J.D. Vance, February 12th. Someone should have asked Jeffrey Epstein, John Weaver, or Leon Black about the crazy conspiracy, crazy conspiracy is on all caps, that many powerful people were predators targeting children. In other words, he's saying QAnon people aren't crazy. Without using that term, that's obviously what he's doing. That's the only way that's meant to read. He, he's signing on, he's saying, hey, QAnon folks, I don't think you're crazy. That is fucking disgusting. That is disgusting. And I he's, think he finally deleted it, but so what? I mean, the guy has I, no integrity. It's weird. I, I would almost, I almost deli- wrote exactly the same thing. I mean, it does show that <laughs> without, without QAnon, it does show that these conspiracies, uh, do happen. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, I would. And, and what's the point? It, it's an interesting point. Conspiracies happen. It's an interesting point that the people are right to be paranoid. Oh, but and, come on. Uh, Do you think this it, is meant? It, it's not necessary. It, it may be a, a message to QAnon supporters saying you're right to be paranoid. That's not completely insane. If it's if it's saying QAnon <laughs> is right to to specify a particular pedophile conspiracy, that's that's sort of crazy. And I think that's why he so rightly got shit for it. But so wait, you think uh, seriously, Mickey? You think QAnon people read this and make that fine distinction you're making? Well, he's not endorsing this conspiracy theory, so maybe I should rethink that one. No, Obviously, I don't, Mickey, I don't the think way, tweet, tweets, the way tweets. 98% of them will read this is, you know, you're probably right about this QAnon well, thing, and he knows like that, people. and he That's knows probably, that. But he didn't, he did not endorse QAnon. He, he went, went right up to the line, and, uh, and yes, and that, you know, it's, it's it, I, it was a bad tweet. That's the worst that Mona Sharon could come up with. He deleted it. I don't think you disqualify it's somebody for a bad tweet. It's not just a bad, bad tweet. tweet. He knows, you know, he knows what he's doing. He faces a he, he faces a challenge. Should I tell the truth about QAnon? Like, hey, this is just too crazy. I mean, after that woman lost her life in the Capitol, but because she had fallen prey to this bullshit. And he's still giving them aid and comfort and saying, yeah, yeah, sign on to this, sign on to this. Come on, Mickey. I, every now and then when I was I, – I, I always wanted the, the Daily Caller to do an article. I think they finally did it on conspiracy theories that were true. There's this, there's this conventional establishment idea that every conspiracy theory is bullshit, and a lot of times they turn out to be true, and it's worth making that point. I agree the QAnon adjacency, and I think Mona's characteristic – Somebody characterizes it's Q adjacent, and that that's correct. That was bad. He should withdraw it. That was a that was it was an irresponsible tweet. But no, you but know, I mean, you, we're you, judging you want the guy. You want him to be completely honest. In which case, he gets you know he continues his career as an investment banker and has. No I didn't chance. say I want him to be completely honest. He's welcome to do the standard politicians' lies, but there are a, a few issues. That are just fundamental here. And when you are encouraging, and that's what he's doing here, Mickey, he's encouraging QAnon people to feel stronger in their crazy convictions. That is the practical effect of this tweet. Now, if we, if you and me and him were having a seminar about, about epistemology and somebody wanted to point out that conspiracies happen, well, first of all, obviously you don't need to point that out. You QAnon people, you, you're not crazy. Even if Q, Q is crazy, you weren't crazy to believe it. It's that's not a, if you phrased it that way, that wouldn't be a crazy thing to say. You're rational human beings. You fell for this conspiracy, but you're right to be paranoid about pedophile conspiracies. If you're a pedophile and you want to have a lot of sex, you're going to have to have a conspiracy because it's illegal. So uh, that that would be a reasonable thing to say. He, he what he said was unreasonable. It's not going to 
Uh, I don't think it's going to uh, devastate uh, uh, democracy, and he and he and he took it down. He should get shit for it. Yeah, but he shouldn't have to await the blowback to take it down. This is this is fundamental. You're you know, right. the question he here. Here, let me let me let me drive this. Let me let me. a fundamental a fundamental uh, destruction no, me, of democracy. Me, That's insane. So you're now mocking that after I said that about Trump and January sixth happened, and you're back to mocking the whole idea. No, I'm mocking this hair trigger existential threat to democracy every time somebody uh, says something well, that look, implies the election was was bullshit. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about QAnon. I know, but, but before the, we were the, talking the, about the election. But let me let me just we should move on. But let me just try to to frame this slightly differently. I mean, as I said, there are forms of, you know, ideological Trumpism. I mean, there there are people who could be ideological Trumpists who uh, wouldn't terrify me uh, if they were in the White House. But, you know, it's like the, the Trumpist constituency is um, maybe in principle, all constituencies are, are dangerous. But here this is one that has been rallied. Uh, largely on the basis of, uh, you know, fear and, uh, to some extent, appe- you know, appealing to various resentments and, and so on in, in, in ways that Trump did that I thought were unconscionable. And so I would ask, well, who is the next Trump going to be? Is he, is he a guy who will understand that there's some places you just don't go with these people? There's some emotions you're not willing to exploit. And this one tweet tells me, no, J.D. Vance is not that guy who understands that there are some things that are just playing with fire, some He's emotions your... you don't exploit. He's not that guy. He doesn't have the integrity. Very few politicians are. Bill Clinton certainly wasn't. He flew back to Arkansas to, to execute a retarded man. Okay? He knew the virtue of a cheap appeal, too. Nobody is perfect. He isn't perfect either. He's a politician. If he was perfect, he would have zero's chance. He's yeah, in a but... Republican primary. And he's yes, he's making this concession to uh, anti-Trump sentiment. He's going as he's going as 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 non-far as he possibly can, and still have a chance. Oh, this, That's oh, the oh he couldn't have he couldn't he's have not tweeted making. this. He couldn't have not tweeted this and had a chance to win. I, I he, he 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 nobody knows how much chance he has, but he's going as as he's going as, as he's being as responsible as he can while preserving a shot in the Republican primary. Okay. Cut the guy, cut the guy some slack. And plus you said he had a horrible week. And so he lost morning Joe and Bob Wright and a bunch of liberals who aren't voting in the Republican primary in Ohio. Why, why was that a bad week? No, I take your point. Everybody's talking. Everybody's talking about him on, in, in every newspaper and every opinion column. It's such a dead news time that he's, only thing left to write about, I'd say he had a good week. No, I take your point that, uh, that, you know, refusing to acknowledge the legitimacy of the president in, 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 you know, the Trump world is, is a good week. And, um, he ducked, he ducked a very tough question. Yes. No, I mean, I agree. I definitely agree. I was, I was wrong to say he had a bad word, a, a bad week. In surely political terms, um, he, uh, you well, know, he, he, he had he had it because because people like me are saying bad things about him. New and York that's how Magazine politics wrote, New York Magazine wrote a piece saying, you know, he's through. He's you know, that was insane. OK, he's not through. OK, uh, just quickly. The, the yeah. The, uh, 
you know, he, he may still lose. I mean, he's a nice guy. He's much too nice to win a Senate race. Okay? Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. Uh, he's a great well, guy. I think he is a nice guy. Uh, his, he's What's very it, what are the signs that he's a nice guy? Well, look at his look at his look at his look at his speech at the at the you know national populist conservatism conference. He he his his whole affect is I'm a nice you know I'm a genial father who just wants the best for for oh, so my he, working class people. Oh, so, I've had some I've had interactions with him on. Uh, I so think he I conveyed you, that we, in a political speech, and so it must be true. No, no, I've had interactions with him, and he seems like a very nice guy. Well, he I knows you. I had interactions with him around the Kavanaugh nomination. Well, he knows you're the kind of guy who knows who who says that. Um, well, at at, you at know, some point, if you QAnon adjacency is okay. At some point, if you convince everybody that you're a nice guy, maybe you sort of are a nice guy, even in objective terms, even if you're fundamentally evil in your own mind, right? Well, I don't think he's convinced right? everybody. I think uh, that that. It didn't happen this week. So on to more lighthearted matters in somewhat the same vein. Your other uh, another guy you've supported for presidency, Tucker Carlson. I reserve the right to come back to J.D. Vance since he's the story of the week. But go ahead. Um, OK, but but first, I'm curious. Uh, so this is Tucker. Are you what is your position on Tucker? Is he still a, a viable presidential candidate? Uh Sure. I, you know, he's gone off on a few tangents that seem a little out there to me, uh, because he has a talk show and he, he has to come up with something new every day. The, the fact that the NSA would leak on him is not one of those tangents. It seems like maybe that's plausible, but there have been some other ones that have been a little stranger, but, uh, you know, judging by modern standards, he's fine. Okay. If I can get the, like volume tour. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. So here he's talking about, uh, teaching, I guess, critical race theory in the public schools, which I don't think happens much per se. And in any event is, I don't think it's like a super looming threat, but anyway, here's his, uh, here's his cure. Overwhelming majority of Americans and pollsters have found this pretty clearly think this is insane. They think you should judge people by what they do, not on the basis of their skin color. They believe in Martin Luther King. So it is BS. In fact, it's more than that. It's civilization-ending poison. But it's everywhere. How widespread is it? Well, we can't really be sure. Until we finally get cameras in the classroom, as we put them on the chests of police officers, until we finally get a civilian review board in every town in America to oversee the people teaching your children, forming their minds. And let's hope we get both of those very soon. But until we do, we can't know exactly how widespread this is. But there are indications. We know that these ideas, this poison, has made it all the way to expensive private schools in central Ohio. So are you for are you for cameras in every public school classroom? I think a- it's probably I think it's probably unworkable. But so are all the other methods for rooting out CRT. I mean, the statutes sort of are are, are speech infringing, most of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the um, uh, you know, plus CRT is so deeply embedded in schools that even a statute isn't enough to root it out. If you have if you have a hundred teachers who believe in CRT and you say you shall not teach CRT, have you rooted it out? No, you still have a hundred tenured faculty members who are who are teaching your children. Well, wait. Uh, it, it seems to me that the the classroom thing is sort of a heavy handed attempt to deal with that problem, and uh, it's it's probably very unfair to the teachers and is doomed. But uh, 
The only other alternative is to is to break up the public school system and have an entirely new system uh, of choice where the parents that don't want the, their kids to teach to learn CRT can go to schools that don't teach CRT. That, that that's where all this is heading. Is this heading toward screw the public school system, let it collapse, and that's a bad thing. Well, I mean, in terms of the public school system collapsing, I mean, it's hard enough to recruit good, even in the sense of competent teachers in, in many public school districts. If, if you say, and by the way, you'll be in a panopticon, there will be a camera on you. I mean, it's going to be completely hopeless. I mean, well, this I is totally a doomed. recipe. I think that's Tucker why it's Carlson, doomed, but I don't think it's crazy to suggest it. I just think it's doomed. No, He's but, looking around for solutions. You no, know? but I don't so, just mean it's politically doomed. It would be ridiculously destructive. It's a stupid no, idea. I mean, it's do- I mean, it's doomed because you can't subject teachers to that kind of uh, 24-7 uh, Orwellian snooping. Okay. I'm also I, – I have no idea what the evidence is that this is a huge problem in the average public school. I, I don't I don't remember my daughters coming home. I mean, it's been a few years since since, you know, they were – that was so a long school. time ago, Bob, in CRT well, terms. Yeah, but I mean, oh, well, I don't know. Well, I mean, what form does it assume in the public schools? Keep in mind, the answer is I don't know, but um, nor have I read enough Christopher Rufo to com- completely grok it. I, 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 I'm sure the right is exaggerating it, but you know, it's also, uh, I'm sure it's, there's also a, a, a chunk there that's very real, but I don't know. To what extent it is the um, you know keep in mind I w- I just watched the excellent Blogging Heads podcast between Glenn Lowry and Charles Murray, uh, and uh, you know Glenn says, look, the, if you don't believe in the Martin Luther King individual thing, it sort of is the end of our democracy, and Charles sort of agrees because they agree if whites form an identity movement, uh, so they're judge judging on the well, color of their well, skin. That's it. That's game over. Uh, and, it, and it would be a horrible, destructive development. Why would so it surprise cra- you? It's not crazy to to hold out the, the MLK individuality, as, as Chucker did, as being a key to democracy. Why does it surprise you that Charles Murray agreed? No, but it surprised me that Glenn said it. Oh, I think you should pay more attention to Glenn. Um, uh, this is this has been his line for uh, and I think, years. And I think, and I think Glenn agreed with Murray when almost agreed with Murray when Murray said a white identity politics movement would be incredibly destructive. And the word Charles used is game over. But, uh, Oh, by the way, uh, that reminds me the, um, if I can find the, uh, what was on the more, screen while more, Tucker, more, destru- more destructive than not saying that Biden is legitimate president. Well, while Tucker was on screen saying this thing, speaking of that, uh, I don't know if you can see this, but there's on the screen next to him, there's this big donkey like the Democratic Party and, and it says anti-white mania. That's the message from Fox is there's anti-white mania. Um, well, there might be the anti-white mania. Party. Really? Who, who represents that in the Democratic Party? Did it, oh, you mean in the Democratic Party? Yeah. He's got, they've got a big donkey and it says anti-white mania. Uh, I have to have more knowledge of, uh, the fringe, fringier progressive left. But, uh, so. So. Nobody in the Senate. Before you get back to J.D. Vance, since you started off with, uh, our, um, well, my elderliness or something. Who was this guy? I want to know who this guy is. I want, I want to, I want you to dox him. 
Who? Whoever said that about me, the thing you started out with. It's Michael Drew. I was reading from my Twitter feed. You read it too, I and think. And you think he's a, he's a, a parrot room patron? Yes. He's a regular commenter. He's a, he's a prolific tweeter. I was about uh, to start some, talking. Sometimes, of- he's, sometimes he's very helpful, and sometimes, like many prolific tweeters, he says whatever's on his mind, and what was on his mind at the moment was that we looked really old. We have we have the power to suspend patrons, you know. I'm there, just saying. Uh, so now you're turning into a totalitarian. Sh- just a shot across the, the bow. Not- Why don't we, I think we should have a camera in Michael Drew's living room 24 hours a day just in case he feels like tweeting that we're old. Um, Took he, the words it, 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 right out of my mouth. You know, he, he's – anyway. So I was going to use him as a segue to talk about uh, – <laughs> Oh, I forget. Oh, yeah, Alzheimer's. No, I was going to – I want to talk about the new Alzheimer's drug. There's a solution. There's no solution to Alzheimer's, but there is a solution to us looking old. That that beard you were wearing? Play it at at 1.5 speed. Well, they can do that. They have the power to do that. Then we sound fine. They have the power to do that, right. Then we sound fine. We sound normal at 1.5 speed. Yeah, I know. You know, I come away – it's bad for my self-esteem to listen to podcasts because I always crank them up to 1.5 and I'm thinking, God, these people are so much quicker than I am. Um, Let me – so – You sound great on 1.5 too. Glenn Lowry sounds like the smartest man in the universe at 1.5. You should hear Eric Weinstein. Speaking of which, okay, so I, I want to get back. speaks at 1.5 normally. Normally. I want to get back to the <laughs> the Alzheimer's drug. Uh, okay. That, but before that, as long as we're talking about the pair room and Eric Weinstein, I want to say that, you know, as our patrons know, over the last couple of weeks in the pair room, we've been discussing my grand unified hypothesis only at this point. Of the Weinstein brothers, Brett and Eric, that both are cranks. It's just a hypothesis. I haven't pronounced yet on whether I'm ready to take it to the level of theory. But one thing that happened is yesterday I uh, taped uh, a long conversation with a mathematician who has uh, co-authored with a physicist, a PhD in physics, um, a critique of Eric Weinstein's uh his own grand unified theory, his theory of everything, his theory of physics that he really thinks um, can kind of literally save the world because he thinks that it will allow us to escape the solar system. Um, if it's right, which he thinks it is. Uh, so that was a good conversation. We got into all kinds of stuff. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just want to say I have uh, – it'll be – on my podcast, uh, Tuesday night, the right show, but I've, uh, uploaded it to the parrot room. So, uh, patrons get a sneak preview and, um, that would be at, uh, patreon.com slash parrot room, Mickey. Um, I, I noticed that the, our commenters know a whole lot more about physics than we do and their discussions of Weinstein, which I think talked about the guy you're interviewing, uh, were, were a lot more sophisticated than ours. And they involved Eric thinking he understood gauge theory uh, in in a way that told other physicists he didn't understand gauge theory. And I went and looked up gauge theory, and I certainly don't understand gauge theory. It was, but it it, it just re- reinforced my my sense that physics is just way too literal. Almost, it's like it's like when I found that the string theory actually did postulate that the universe was made of strings. Right. I just gave up. 
Now, we should okay. say gauge theory isn't the idea that the universe is made of gauges, no. but the, but the guy, but it involves gauges, which yeah. is bizarre. Uh, but, um, <laughs> this guy, Tim Nguyen, that I, uh, that I spoke to yesterday did his PhD dissertation in math on a, it was on, well, it was very gauge theory relevant. It was specifically on a set of equations. Uh, that, um, are credited to Ed Witten of string theory fame and another guy. And, and one of Eric's claims is that he actually thought of the equations first. And, um, Tim recounts how in his first encounter with Eric on a discord server, he asked him some questions about these equations. And again, Tim did his PhD dissertation on these equations. And he says that convinced him that Eric didn't have the conversancy in these equations that you would expect from someone. Who um who actually thought them up? Um, so anyway, wait. Eric claims to have thought of these equations before before Ed Witten and the other I, guy. They're uh, called the something Witten equations, uh, and they're of mathematical importance, even leaving aside any application to physics. I think. Um, and Eric has said that if if he hadn't been discouraged by his advisors from proceeding along these lines, then there's some revolution that would have happened at Harvard where he was a PhD student rather than at Princeton where Ed Witten was. Um, well, that's a very different claim. Yeah, it's not strictly speaking connected to the his Grand Unified Theory, but it's what got Tim yeah. interested. I mean, Tim was a right. fan of Eric's, actually. He yeah. liked the podcast, and he started asking him about this, and that raised questions and look, I'm not fit to judge this stuff, but it's a, well, it's an he, interesting conversation. Maybe if he hadn't been discouraged by his advisor, he would understand it better. Uh, maybe. The, the claim is not, I had the equations on my notepad and they wouldn't let me publish. It's that if I hadn't been discouraged, I would have eventually discovered the equations. That's a much softer claim. Well, you're going on what I said or you've heard what he says? I'm totally going on what you said. Oh, well, I, I, I may have been understating it. I mean, uh, you know, Tim knows exactly what he said. And... um. No, he, he's, he's, he has suggested that they shouldn't have the name they have. They shouldn't have Witten's name on them. He's gone that far. He calls yeah. them the so-called so-and-so equation. Anyway, I digress. It's, it's, uh, it's on Patreon yeah. and it'll be out, uh, uh in three days. Yeah. Um, let, let the record show that I too had Alzheimer's drug written on my notepad, but I only have one point to make about it. So you may have a more interesting point. Well, I just mainly listened to this New York Times podcast and then did a little reading, but it seems to me possibly outrageous that the, uh, the FDA, um, or is it the, um, yeah, the FDA would have approved it, right? Yeah. Um, that they approved it. I mean, well, they pulled that back down. Well, no, they restricted the number of people they're approving it. Now they're saying it's only early stage, um, uh, Alzheimer's patients who should get it, but that's 1.5 million people. And the New York Times coverage suggests that, that that will be a signal to Medicare that, that they should reimburse people. Now we're talking mm. about a drug that costs 56,000 a year, 1.5 million people. That's like total payment of like, you know, what, 80 billion? If Medicare pays for a significant chunk of that, Given what we know about the drug's actual efficacy and risk, it's I, it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. Right, but my point is, this is the easy case because the drug doesn't work very well. The hard case will be if the drug actually worked, would we fork over the eighty billion? 
And the answer, I think, is yes. But it looks like we're going to fork it over now. That's what I'm saying. And it well, doesn't now work. It's, now I'd say it's a much if your case and probably maybe we shouldn't. But but the the, the point is that uh, the, there's a big seemingly insoluble problem coming down the road. Um. Well, yeah, it's here. <laughs> and, mean, and, and my my uh, <laughs> I think my uh, I'm trying to hew to the Kinsley guideline, which is if the president gets it, everybody should get it. Uh, and would the president get an Alzheimer's drug, a test case that may come up sooner than you think uh, before maybe, maybe. the the rest of the population? And the answer is no. And if it costs 80 billion, it costs 80 billion. We, you know, we, we'd rather spend the money on video games. No. Um, well, this is your line on, on all this stuff. And, and it's not mine. Uh, this Correct. is where you, you want this to restrict, is where you want to restrict the development of new drugs in order to make them more affordable. Uh, well, I wouldn't restrict the development, but if you, uh, per se, but that might be a by, that would be a byproduct of pouring less in the way of tax dollars into drugs of marginal value. Yeah, like I say, you would restrict the development of new drugs. No, not explicitly. As a, be, byproduct, it, as a byproduct. As a byproduct. Fine. As a byproduct. Okay, okay. but let me tell you, here's the data on the this. Byproduct. Here's the data on this drug, okay? So Biogen set up two studies, okay? Eight months into the study, Biogen looked at the data and pulled the plug. They said there's no signs that this drug does any good. Biogen made that call. Right. Then they looked at, they, they poured over the data and they said, well, in one study, the patients that took the highest dose showed marginal improvement, not in the other study, in one study, and, and the nature of the improvement, there's there's a, a point scale for evaluating people like on memory tasks or whatever that goes from zero to 18, okay? Right. And and uh, one study found that people at the highest dose improved their scores by less than one point, on one of 18, okay? A fraction of a point, no significant improvement in the other study, and... The drug has side effects. 40% of the people, and I think this is all recipients, not just the high dosage, 40% had either brain swelling or bleeding in the brain of at least some magnitude, not necessarily, you know, fatal or dangerous, but 40% is a pretty big number. And, and, and now they're saying, and now the standard dose is going to be this high dose. Okay. I assume because that's the only thing that has a prayer of working. So what's what, what, why did the Biden FDA go for this? I, Since presumably the Biden FDA is very concerned with being able to finance entitlements. I assume that there's a powerful lobby. I mean, at first I was thinking, could it be that there's a few billionaire donors who have early stage Alzheimer? But the Times emphasized just the senior citizens lobby. Um, but honestly. If I had early stage, well, it's easy for me to say now, but I mean, there's very little chance it'll do you any good. Quite a bit of chance it'll either make your brain swell or bleed. Well, I they, mean, it's it, that that makes sense. The, the, the demand for it is so intense, and 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 in, in a sort of political holding action, they may feel they have to throw them a bone uh, and keep them busy with this u- relatively useless drug until an actual useful drug is developed. Yeah, but I mean, why? Both scientists in the area think that they're going to succeed versus Alzheimer's, right? 
Well, they think, but you know, one thing I wonder, and I just haven't looked into it, there may be the answer, is, you know, they always talk about this, this certain kind of protein that builds up in Alzheimer's patients, as if that were the cause or a cause of the problem. Maybe they know it is, but this is a drug that apparently did succeed in breaking down that protein, but to, to some considerable extent, but does little huh. if any good. So I, thought, I, I got the impression from the coverage that they basically conceded that the protein was the problem, was the cause, and not just a, a, an well, effect of some other process. Then but, maybe this drug is... is that's uh, a good point you make about about that if if it well, reduced the protein and people stayed senile, then it's, maybe it's not the protein. Well, I, 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 I know very little about this, but it's alarming to me. I mean, as a taxpayer, I, I you know, and I would think... Uh, you could get some other taxpayers upset about this. I mean, this, this is, this is non-trivial money. And if you're going to continue to make Medicare available to all, you're going to have to draw some lines. Um, um and then this is an, ob- an easy one to draw. Seems like, um, well, uh, I, I, you're against line drawing in this case. I no, know. no, no. I think you, you could decide that this was the, 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 uh, you know, the, uh, the positive effects, the net positive effects weren't worth it. Uh, I, so I don't, I don't think that's crazy, but I just like to hear the other side. But, um, anyway, you can't blame it on Trump. That's all I care about. Or JD Vance. No, you don't blame it on Trump. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, there was something else. Uh, oh, want something to blame on Trump? Sure. This is pretty oblique. It's just that I, I heard, you know, Haiti, uh, is a, is a mess. The president who was assassinated had had, well, dubious, a dubious claim to legitimacy on a number of grounds. Uh, he seems to have, I mean, arguably had overstayed his limitation in office. He'd been ruling more or less by decree. There were doubts about the election that initially got him into office. And, and I heard today, I read somewhere that the reason that Trump, one thing that had kept him in office was the Americans supporting him. And the reason the Trump administration supported him is because he was on our side against Venezuela. And I just want to say, like, this is the price you pay when you, for reasons that make no sense at all, decide you're going to, uh, you know, you're, you're going to impose these draconian sanctions on, on the Venezuelans in hopes of making something, some kind of magical regime change happen. And then you start. And, and and if people ask, well, what, why are you doing that? You say, well, it's in the long-term interest of the Venezuelan people. Meanwhile, you're organizing other parts of your foreign policy around this goal, which makes no sense in its own right, and uh, and, and and disregarding the welfare of people elsewhere. So it's like screw the Haitians and whether or not this this guy deserves to be president. He is on our side against Venezuela. It's like why should that matter? It's just it's just like a domino I'm- effect of stupidity. That assumes that that's the real reason. Uh, I read the, it in the papers. Well, there you go. But the fact that he's now that he's dead, the entire country is falling apart at a civil war suggests that maybe he was holding the country together in a way that others would not. Hold well, the right. Together. But maybe I'm not the, an expert in Haiti and I defer to Amy Willens on all matters Haitian. Maybe the only reasons the demonstrations against him hadn't succeeded in ousting him is that the Americans uh, were on his side. Yeah. I don't know. And anyway, uh, did, did Tr- Trump had all the old bushy anti-Chavez people back in the State Department? I don't think uh, so. 
Well, you know, for a time, Bolton was there and that during when they were uh, when there was that kind of ridiculous coup that failed and that we seem to have kind of I don't know if we okayed it in advance or or whatever. But but uh, that was on Bolton's watch, I think. Um, Yeah. But, you know, it's turning out that I think McMaster may be. I think I saw some reference to him now being at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, which would uh, be a pretty clear signal that he was more troubled than than some of us appreciated at first. I don't know. My line is that uh, Venezuela is a lost cause because the left has all the guns and the military advantage. And even if you took over the government, the left would still have all the guns and the militias out in the countryside. So give it up. You're not going to win. It's like Korea. Korea, we recognize that the, the the North has a military advantage with all these artillery devices outside of Seoul. So you, we have to build our policy around that. Right. Build the policy around the fact that we're not going to overthrow the government of Venezuela. Um, that doesn't mean in other cases, maybe it will be worth overthrowing a government. Probably not the government of Venezuela. Um, did you read Josh Rogan's piece as long as we're on foreign policy about China, about how China by coming, you know, this company DD, which is a ride sharing app, right. uh, was, was listed on the New York Stock Exchange and American investors poured billions of dollars into it. And right after that happened, China cracked down on it. And, you know, in a way that, that implied that, you know, they were never going to maximize their money and they, their stock fell 30%. And that this had, Rogan claims that this has opened Wall Street's eyes about the perils of investing in China over the long run with uh, untold consequences, which he doesn't go into, but seemed to make sense to me. I don't understand why any the political risk of investing in China seems so great now. I don't understand why you would do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, China has like uh, made app stores remove all the apps for this ride hailing company and a ride hailing company without apps is <laughs> kind of in trouble. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, I, I'm not totally clear on whether, as some people are reporting, it's to punish them for going for for going public on the New York exchange or, you know, there's another thing that's been going on for some time with the Chinese government. And tech companies, which is that the government doesn't, uh, is jealous of the personal data they're gathering. And, 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 uh, and, and I think once, I don't know, once easier access to it or doesn't want them to monopolize it or maybe doesn't want them to have it in the first place. Um, it could be either of those things or, or both. Um, I, I mean, a thought I had, I, I think you're right. Yeah. It'll, it'll, um, it makes Chinese companies less attractive to invest in. And a thought I had uh, by way of maybe partly salvaging an earlier uh, idea I championed, you know, 20 years ago, I was saying that I thought um, it was going to be hard for China to have it both ways, to um, use digital technology to achieve prosperity without um giving giving the use of the digital technologies enough free reign to um cru- you know to preserve at least some political liberty some political pluralism um and you know i i think there is a little more political pluralism than people uh 
recognize in China at the same time, clearly the, the government's done a better job than I thought they would uh, for the time being fostering prosperity and, and yet cracking down on the, on, on free expression and on the digital technologies. But I wondered if, um, if this is, this is not the form I imagined the tension, uh, taking, you know, the, the tension between, uh, pursuing prosperity and clamping down. But, uh, it may be that it is, it, it is a form of it. It is a manifestation it, of that tension. Could, could it also be as, on the grounds that everything is simpler or cruder than you think? Could it also be that just Z is jealous of guys like Jack Ma having so much power and wealth and independence and, you know, and they're a threat. So he's cracked down on Jack Ma and, and, and I think Ma was an investor in this company. Um, you know, it's possible. I, 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 I she seems like a pretty, clever operator i doubt he succumbs to just kind of base rank jealousy if it's not in in his interest or the interest he identifies with um but uh you know there could be a yeah there could be a like we don't want uh you know any 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 corporate titans getting too big for their britches we're the government here and and that could also I, i mean all of these things could uh, make it harder for China to have it both ways, to preserve prosperity. I mean, if their corporations are less attractive investment vehicles for investors around the world, that's going to reduce the capital available to them, I would think. And, 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 and that's an example of prosperity being at least a little harder to maintain, you'd think. Um, he's, he's obviously willing in his sophistication to pay that price. So. Um, um, in, in this case, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, I had a point on infrastructure. <laughs> I'm sure you're. I was. I was afraid we'd go a day with it's a day without infrastructure is like a day without I, sunshine, Mickey. But I can't find my point. So I am sorry to hear that. Um, now let's see. Oh, Afghanistan. What? Biden defended his Afghanistan withdrawal. And oh, the I get it. I know. I do have. A, I remember my infrastructure point. Just in time. Sorry. Um. The, right now, the way the, the way the debate is, there's this bipartisan, there are these two parts. There's the hard infrastructure part and the soft infrastructure part, which contains all the goodies that the Dems really care about, like uh, uh, this child tax credit money. And also, like, you know, some people say amnesty, okay? So the left wants to stick, they want to stick a, a big amnesty in the reconciliation bill, which would vindicate my fears, which is why I voted for Trump, that Biden would produced a huge amnesty. He hasn't yet. People say it's a long shot, but I don't quite understand why it's a long shot. Anyway, the left correctly recognizes that if they pass the bipartisan uh, bill in the Senate, that it it, it reduces the chances of them getting this big bill through a Democrats only vote that would include all the, the, you know, the, the amnesty and all the other big things they want. So they're going to vote down the reconciliation, the, the bipartisan bill. It will initially fail in the Senate because the Democrats, enough Democrats will abandon it that it won't get 60 votes. So the Democrats will then try to do their, their, their big bill. And maybe they come back to the bipartisan bill later if they have to. But this idea that on, you know, on, on July 19th, the Senate is going to start voting on the bipartisan bill and damn it, they're going to pass it seems crazier and crazier to me. Can you remind us 
The Dems have woken up to realize that it's the enemy of their grand ambitions. But why exactly is it that passing the bipartisan bill makes it less likely to get the? Because if you're a, if you're a moderate Dem, it's a, if you're a moderate Dem in the House, and you don't want to vote for Pelosi's grand bill with all the goodies, you can vote no and still have achieved something if you've achieved the bipartisan bill. So you can go to your constituents and say, "Hey, we built." You know, $50 billion of bridges. Okay. Uh, we didn't do the big package, but it was a mm-hmm. start. We got something done. Congress can work again. If that, if that alternative is unavailable, it's either vote for Pelosi or face the abyss of having done nothing. And, uh, and no, they don't want to face the abyss. So, so it, so it marginally this- increases the power of, uh, moderate Democrats who at least they'll have something. So this is why Biden felt there had to be this threat that it's either both or nothing. His right. mistake was to say that publicly, apparently, but it might not have been a viable strategy. Anyway, did I ask you last week, like, why didn't he just let Pelosi take the hit for that? Like, word could get out. It makes, that- I don't understand that. that. I think that's a good question because somebody, somebody got to him who was foolish. I don't think and I see, again, I that. worry, I worry that that's not what happened, that Biden uh, isn't, you know, as in charge of uh, his mouth as he used to be even in the old days. What, I mean, did it have it wasn't in a prepared speech that he said it, right? It wasn't part of his prepared remarks, but he clearly intended it. It wasn't just a off the cuff, like misspeaking. Uh, yeah. It was it was it was he was delivering the soundbite for. That seemed, press it seemed prepared, so, it prepared. But the, not, the two theories are not completely inconsistent. I mean, he's, the more senile he gets, the more likely he is to fall for bullshit. So I may, we, and we still haven't found out who in the White House told him to do that, or did Pelosi tell him that? I mean, that's clearly a, a key thing the press should find out that they haven't found out. But um, so, but but I'm not. I, if I were a Democrat, I would not be pessimistic that you might get the whole ball of wax. I mean, I'm increasingly pessimistic from my point of view i don't want them to get the whole ball of wax but you know but who the hell knows they they, it it doesn't seem crazy to me now that they would somehow manage to hold all their troops in line if they but they have to vote down the bipartisan bill first if they want to do that i think that's that's my infrastructure point okay pretty exciting and and that is of course you tend to to anticipate things that terrify you and this would terrify you because it would mean child tax credit, right? And amnesty would be yeah. a massive, nation-changing amnesty. It would be, it would be mm. basically not game over, but but it would be a game-changing event. But we should discount your prediction by by virtue well, of your tendency to anticipate my, things that my, you fear. My allies in the immigration fight tend not to be as alarmed as I am. I don't know why. Maybe they don't have the same tendency you have to anticipate well, the, things. The standard argument is that the the chaos at the border has so harmed the Democrats that they don't they don't want to like double down on it by now passing an amnesty. Uh, that you know, so that Biden made a strategic mistake. It, the he let the progressives, you know, run the border, uh, but that means the progressives aren't going to get their big amnesty because the way they run the border has so alienated the voters. Uh, but um, uh, you know, I, they may just, it, it may be like the house impeachment of, of Clinton. They may just do it cause they c- can get away with it. And so what if they lose the Congress? They're going to lose the Congress anyway. 
Um, okay. Now, uh, can I quickly say something about the pandemic? Yes. Uh, just, uh, we are now starting to see, finally, the last few days, you've seen an uptick in cases in the U.S. that seems significant and is presumably a result of the Delta variant. Um, in Britain, this started happening like six weeks ago, and the death rate has only started rising there in the last uh, few days, I think, and it's still uh, lower per capita than ours, and and so it's not clear that well, you know this spells doom. But but it does look like the case the case numbers are finally if, actually growing. But if if you know if this virus weren't as deadly, or if it were like very undeadly. It wouldn't be so terrible that it's sweeping through the population because it's basically providing immunity without killing people. Now, I think the virus does all sorts of other things to fuck you up. So it's probably a bad yeah, idea. Yeah, it can. But, um, but, but it, it, I think you focused on the key issue, which is will the death rate go up as the, I mean, it, as it's, these variants, because uh, it's not uncommon, correct me if I'm wrong, for a less lethal variant to supersede, but more infectious variant to supersede a more lethal variant. That can happen in a case where lethality per se isn't good for the virus. There are viruses right. that spread themselves through the death and decomposition of the organism, but this isn't one of those. Um, the, uh, but you know, I, I heard somewhere that it, it, now in the U.S., 99, more than 99%. I, I, this was some credible source like NPR or something. More than 99% of the, um, people who die of COVID in the U.S. are unvaccinated. I mean, given the fact that, uh, you know, that's no more than half the population, that's pretty striking. Uh, um, and I would think an argument for getting vaccinated, notwithstanding Brett Weinstein's arguments that vaccination is dangerous. Well, I think we discussed this last week. I think you're right, but I do think that, you know, like I have this, I I think there are a whole lot more people who have minor complications from the vaccine, and there's tremendous omerta to not spread this news. I think that's, I, I well, I think the second thing is true. There's definitely, you know, kind of uh, peer pressure not to say anti-vax sounding things. You know, but having heard Brett's arguments, I mean, it, it, they're pretty conjectural, you know, uh, his based on anecdotal evidence and then and then some kind of, you know, conjecture what? about what it, what happens when a bunch of spike proteins go to various parts of your body. Hmm. We don't know, but I haven't seen, you know, I don't know. One of um, one of our readers or somewhere I read that there's some study that comes down on ivermectin like a ton of bricks. Well, uh, there have been, I don't know, a ton of bricks. There, I have seen meta-analyses that did not find a significant positive effect from ivermectin. I, I, I've seen a meta-analysis th that did find. There's, there's no way that it's going to be as beneficial as the vaccine. So why are we even, why are we having this argument? I mean. Well, the, Brett's claim is that there's good reason to think it's a very powerful prophylactic if you take it once a week. Again. Okay. So it uh, would be I, as good as a vaccine. Okay. Uh, and, and the thing about it is it is known to be pretty safe because it's been used for other reasons, but, right. um, I, I haven't seen, you know, right. I haven't seen compelling yet. Oh, oh, that reminds me of something I got to correct from last week that I seem to have gotten wrong. I said that, that YouTube had demonetized him, but hadn't taken these offending videos 
down. Um, and that's because when I listened to the podcast, the offending podcast, I went to YouTube and there the videos were. But some commenters said I was wrong. They had taken them down. And assuming they're right, apparently what's happening is that there's a cat and mouse game where YouTube takes them down and somebody other than Brett puts them up or puts a shortened version of them up or something. And in fact, last time I checked, the one with uh, Pierre Corey or whatever his name is was still up. But apparently that's not the original version and YouTube did take them down. I gather these are two separate operations. I mean, demonetizing, I assume, means he can't advertise on any of his videos now on his channel. And then they, I assume they have selectively taken down videos they find uh, offending. Anyway, it sounds like I got that wrong. Um, thank you. Uh, there are a couple of little things. One is uh, we, I made a big deal about how Michael Wolf's account of the January 6th riot uh, did not sort of exculpated Trump of the worst charges, which is that he conspired with the rioters right. to block the vote. Okay. Uh, and, uh, but there are all sorts of other books in the pipeline. It's not just the one I mentioned. There's a Maggie Haberman book. There's a Woodward book. But one of the first to come out of the box is the Michael Bender book, which is coming out early next week. And uh, the big leak from that was that Trump once said Hitler did, did some good things. So if that's the big news from the Michael Bender book, I think you can cross the Michael Bender book off as the book that's going to provide the details of Trump's involvement in the January 6th riot. Wait, why? Oh, oh if there's, if, that's, if, that's just not so big. If that's, yeah. if that's your big, uh, your, you know, your big scoop in your book, your book doesn't have many big scoops. Maybe does a great he, book doesn't does have he, many big scoops. Does he say what the good things were? What do you mean the good things? That, that Trump thought Hitler did? No, that's a good point. <laughs> it, it matters. Bit, it matters. It, it matters a lot which ones you choose. <laughs> I choose the Autobahn. <laughs> it's like, who was it? Marge Schott, who was owner of the Cincinnati Reds, I think, said he about Hitler, he just went too far. Yeah, I would say he went too far. Um, you know... First, we kill half the Jews, and the Jews are happy, and Hitler is happy. It's the mm. Roger Fisher solution. Second half, too far. Um, um, so uh, it, now speaking, it, but speaking of the Michael Wolf book. Now, um, last week you uh, you you gave us his account of January six, according to which Trump is so clueless that he couldn't have. It's hard to believe he would have known that people were inside the Capitol when he tweeted, "Mike Pence has betrayed us." Uh, what I learned, and I think from you probably since we taped, is that the whole thesis of Michael Wolf's book is that Trump was this clueless guy. He didn't what? have a plan. He was just Mr. Magoo being led around. And, and fine, maybe, maybe that's right. But my point is that suggests to me that it could be well, it could well be that the Jan 6 part of the book is colored to fit the overall thesis of the book. I don't think I'd put that past Michael Wolf from what I know of him. Uh, I wouldn't put I, it past I, most of us. It's hard I, not to in, do that. But in my in my newsletter post on this issue, I made that point. Having Excuse heard me. it from me, and is that true? Yeah. And but did you credit me? No, no, I didn't credit. I did, you, you, you'll go throughout your life saying I made that point first, and Mickey <laughs> did not credit me. 
would be like Eric Weinstein. I I could have gotten credit for that point. It would have been a Bob Wright point. I have bigger grievances of that very kind than this one. Um, <laughs> but, and that's what one of the things I got to say. That point in my newsletter. One of the things during this conversation I had with this guy yesterday, uh, uh, I played devil's advocate throughout, partly because Eric wasn't there to defend himself. Uh, but also because I really identify with certain parts of his, you know, as I, as I close, as I approach my verdict on the question of whether one or both brothers are cranks, um, I, I'm not going to do it without a certain amount of, of sympathy for various parts of Eric's psychology. You, uh, is there going to be a big verdict ceremony where you deliver your verdict? Yeah. Clad in a black robe? I'm hoping he will show up. I'm hoping Eric will show up. Just you accept. should try to. You should certainly try to get him on your podcast before you render the verdict, right? He's refusing to engage these guys who did a serious critique of his theory. He's he's uh, instead, you know, vilifying them. Well, but um, he, maybe he figures he can take you. You're not a physicist, you know. He can bowl you over. Yeah, well, I, I'm not up to arguing with him about his nope. theory. That's for sure. He does know a lot about physics. I'll I'll tell him what the hot button. Things you should say to win you over are. You should tell me those too, but possibly not in public. <laughs> okay. Um, so I have a, there's a Hunter Biden development, but that could be in the parrot room. Okay, I'm writing these things down. Uh, there is this controversy over whether uh, big tech is conspiring against JD Vance because if you if you try to look up JD Vance campaign website. Google tends, Google will try to give you like 20 other sites, uh, before it gives you the, the JD Vance campaign website and DuckDuckGo will immediately give you the JD Vance campaign website. And does that mean that, uh, Google is biased against JD Vance or does it just mean that they're so sophisticated that they produce this garbage? Microsoft's um, Bing, by the way, does give you his website. Right. So it's, it's not an across the board tech conspiracy. Maybe it's Silicon Valley, but not Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, anyway, it could be Google, just a Google thing. But, uh, uh, so okay, we anyway, will discuss that. There's, a, yeah. There's, I'm not convinced it's Google, but we'll discuss that. Uh, there's, I don't know. I, I was very impressed with the Lowry Murray dialogue, and I have a, don't have a whole lot to say about it, but. But you want to say more? Should I write it down? Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's a little thing about the IR, these, this alleged, uh, you know, the Republicans making a big deal of the pay for in the, in the unmentionable bill, but the I word bill, uh, which, which is we spend, we beef up the IRS to a tune of $40 billion and then they can go get the, go get the taxes that the rich corporations and individuals don't pay. And the Republicans are mounting a campaign against it, that this is sort of going to bring back the jackboot IRS. Uh, and I have something to say about and, that. And not incidentally lead to rich people paying more taxes, another problem they have with it. Yeah, but also not incidentally lead to rich people spending a lot of money on legal tax evasion and avoidance solutions that do nothing to add to the productivity of society. So there, there is a downside to jackbooting the IRS. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just that rich people get away with murder. It's that they go to elaborate lengths and employ very smart people wastefully to 
uh, let them get away with murder through. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd rather uh, reduce the loopholes they can exploit in the first place. In which case, the whole thing is more clear cut. And um, but uh, and 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 raise the rates while we're at at it. Is there anything else you have for the uh, parrot room? Um. Not that I can think of now. I mean, there's, there's a what happens in immigration when Biden lifts these health restrictions that are allowing him to keep out the majority of single men who are trying to get into the country. Uh, but I think we talked about that before. The question is, will will he pay a huge political price? Okay. Uh, um. Oh, there's Epstein. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a little Epstein. Is there a lot? Is there more than? Is there more than uh, the fact that Marty Parrott's name was found in his Rolodex? Uh, but yes, but that that's more meaningful than you think it is, Bob. Oh, not sorry, because Marty. Sorry, not because, not sorry because Marty's that. implicated, but because Marty explained why how he met Epstein. Oh, Marty is, has already explained that. Yeah. Okay. Um. Now, for my part, uh, I do want to talk a little more about, uh, the Weinsteins. I, I, I listened to, uh, Brett Weinstein's Richard Dawkins dialogue. So I want to, I want to continue to, uh, weigh the evidence in the, uh, that will ultimately determine whether I have a grand unified theory of the Weinstein brothers. Um, and, 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 and talk a little about the Eric thing too. I mean, it was a really, it was a really, um, interesting interview. Which again is in the parrot room, even as we speak. Um, I, I, uh, uh, I watched a couple of foreign movies. Maybe I could say something about one or the other weird Russian movie called Stalker. Not in the sense you would think of Stalker, but, uh, classic by, uh, what is Andre, is it Tarkovsky, great Soviet era director and, and presumably maybe later too, but this is 1979. I watched Fellini's La Strada. That's the kind of thing you would have watched, right? I don't think so. Oh. You disappoint me. Too much symbolism, too little plot. Actually, I would say that's closer to being something you could say about Stalker than La Strada. Um, how, but how do you know it's true of La Strada if you haven't seen it? Well, we'll discuss, we'll discover that in the parrot room. Um, and then, uh, so, uh, and we, you said we will discuss JD Vance, at which time I'll have an opportunity to discuss him in more, uh, moderate tones. I, I, I was a little too, I was a little too, what? what's the, what's the word for what I was? Uh, there's a word. The way in which I was judgmental of him was, oh, well, moralistic. There's some, there's another word. Anyway, I mean, I recognize politicians. There's a certain over, kinds of thing. Over caffeinated. I think I did uh, overcompensate for not getting much sleep last night on the caffeine front, but don't they, worry. It, um, it'll have worn off by the parrot room. There's um, there's the possibility that Trump will uh, meet his Waterloo in an Ohio congressional election uh, where he has endorsed the opponent of a popular incumbent. Glad to hear that. Trump, Waterloo. Um, but now I've said it, it's not clear that I have anything to add to that. Um. Well, I will add, I will add nuance to my verdict on, uh, on JD Vance then in the parrot room. Let me, I look me forward to that. Nuance. Um, it's not clear that I have anything that more, much more to say about JD Vance, but, um, 
I'm ready for nuance. Um, okay. Um, and so that's it. That is at patreon.com slash parrot room where we will be. Have we been talking for over an hour? Yes. Well over. It it just, it, it, it sneaks up on you. Uh, but like well over. And we have not fallen asleep. Sorry, Mr. Drew. I don't know. I, I think he could point to my performance as vindication of, of, of of a kind. And why? Because you were better. No. Uh, because the only way I could be, not fulfill his, uh, his, his view, not comply with his view of me was to be like an asshole. He wants, he wants something in between senile and, 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 and energized asshole. How do you know he wants an asshole? That's weird. No, he doesn't want an asshole. Nobody wants oh. an asshole. Oh, he wants energy, I mean. Yeah. He wants energy you without energy. asshole. You had, you had that. Yeah, but I was an you asshole. Said, I I feel very bad. God, you're usually much a bigger asshole. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, I feel better now. Thanks for that. <laughs> Plus, uh, I deal I deal with bigger assholes than you all the time. So yeah, well, you live in you know you live at you you live in Beverly Hills. Um. No, the people in Beverly Hills aren't Beverly Hills is Trump Company, baby. Can I can I plug one other thing? No, I, I've already done a pretty heavy promotion job today, right? Should I should I just not promote anything? Should I need to say nothing else promotional? They've tuned out already. You can promote. Okay. Uh, smash the like button. Rate and review the, the right show. And really, I I want to make an earnest plea about that. You want to hear it? Uh, sure. Podcasts are in the phase. That blogs were in, remember the golden days of blogging, before slowly big media kind of, in effect, crushed the blogs. I mean, they bought up some of the high-traffic blogs. Slowly, one way or another, the energy got drained from blogs. Podcasts, it's more and more big-footing, you know, they're big-footing the little guys like us. And you can fight this. You can fight this. You can preserve truly independent blogging. What? You think that's happening with Substack too? We're all getting crushed by Matt Iglesias and Glenn Greenwald. No, I, what I'm talking about is podcasts that are on a platform that ultimately they will find um, constraining. That that ultimately is constraining. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things you can't say if you're a podcast on the New York Times platform. Uh, you know, um, well, so, diff- different kinds so of things your on po- slate. Your podcast will thrive because you can say those things. Well, that would be a wonderful world to live in where, where, where good prevails, but uh, that's not the way it, it tends to work. Actually, I mean, things get consolidated and concentrated and little guys get squashed. So a lot of those, a lot of, a lot of those little guys will be people who want to say that the election was illegitimate. Those are not mind. my, those are not my people. They should find another little guy podcast. <laughs> okay. But, but, but the point is that. You'll be in favor of squashing some of these little guys. Uh, maybe I don't want to squash them. Okay. I just don't want to vote for somebody who caters to them. And, but I will nuance my view of Jamie Vance in the parrot room. Another way to support us, uh, is to go there. But, um, also your Cal's Files newsletter. Yeah. I'm non-zero uh, newsletter. Yeah. My, I just came out with a newsletter. That's. Oh yeah, it was a good uh, one. One of I the mean, reasons you, I am lethargic. Well, let's discuss that in the parable because you you put a finer point on something you had said that I thought was persuasive. Okay. Is this All the right. one where you talk about Gore's version of? Uh, Correct. Yeah, yeah, that was good. It was good. Um, anyway, the most important thing, Bob. Yeah. 
Play it at 1.5. Play it at 1.5. Took the words right out of my mouth. I will see you in the pair room.